The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. geeks and welcome to episode 29 of wizards the podcast guide to comics the podcast where we re-examine the 90s comic book boom through the pages of wizard magazine hoping that bane can just lightly adjust my back i'm michael and finally ready to take off my superman memorial armband i'm steven i thought you were gonna say memorial underpants but good thing it's armband okay great no no those those i still wear Okay, good. Fantastic. Now, this is a 300-page year-end spectacular with a Bart Sears Spawn cover. And I'll have you know, I had to track this down on eBay and order this thing. And I went on a bit of a, like, you know, back-and-forth bidding war with somebody to get this magazine. So I hope everybody appreciates it. It is from the January 1994 cover date, and it's also Wizards' first ever annual year-in-review issue, according to Patrick Daniel O'Neill. We have a lot to cover. And joining us for this celebration of all things 93 is probably the biggest comic book fan I know. He's a guy who needs Spider-Man the way Sam Raimi needs Bruce Campbell, the way a Chia Pet needs water. And he's one of my best friends. Please welcome Bob Winters to the show. Hey, everybody. Glad to hey, be Bob, here. Hey, Bob. Thanks for joining us so much hey. for uh, for hanging out with us. And I hear you're from Jersey. Oh, originally, yeah. I'm uh, from North Jersey, uh, which is the home of Action Park recently. I, oh, I, I grew up in Long Island. I went to college in Madison, New Jersey. I, I'm a diehard Jets fan, so I know Jersey quite well. We, we have a lot of shared misery, it sounds like. <laughs> yes, it sounds like. <laughs> I hope we don't talk football now. No, we're oh, not I hope we do. <laughs> it's coming up. It's coming up in this actual, you know, this actual issue. So. so, so Bob, generally when we have a guest on the show, we like them to give us a little bit of history about themselves. So would you mind giving Stephen and I a little bit of your origin story? Well, let's see. I, as we have covered, am from North Jersey, specifically Sussex County. I got out of there as fast as I could. Currently, I live in Brooklyn, and I am good friends. Oh, we have a lot in common. I work in Brooklyn, so this is, we're going to be pals by the end of the (laughs) night, I can tell. So... Again, there's like a thing that I keep wanting to bring up, but I'm going to leave it for later in the episode. I became a comic book fan pretty much before my memory even begins. You know, like that they've kind of been part of my life uh, since I achieved consciousness. Okay, Um, cool. My parents owned a convenience store as a kid. 
and they would routinely bring me home after like closing up shop for the day. Uh, they had one of those racks that had the the uh, shrink wrapped like four packs of random comics. I know it well. Love and uh, so I would get you know if I if I had a particularly good week like you know potty training or whatever whatever I was doing, uh, <laughs> I would get some uh, some comics at the end of the week that I would look at not understand at all, but you know really enjoy you know, whatever it was that I saw on the page. And it's just been part of my life ever since. That's that's awesome. Now, other than the con- the convenience store, did you also like frequent any particular comic book shops growing up? So it, I did over the years. Um, originally, my only access to comics was uh, at, at the family business. I, I would say that I didn't start regularly following any titles until... Gosh, I must have been 14 or 15. Uh, so, so a thing you have to understand about where I'm from is that I'm. it's basically the middle of nowhere. And a lot oh, of I know Sussex County. Yeah. I know where Sussex County is. I've so, been there many a times. Yeah. I know it well. There, so there was so there was not a lot going on, and I got a lot of my comics from either the family business or there was a general store probably 10 minutes up the road. And sometimes if one of my parents had to go get some groceries or whatever, I would go with them and then uh, hit up the spinner rack. And just basically, I would, I would just pick up comics until they told me to stop. And then that's, <laughs> and that's, how, many, that's how many I would take home. But once I got old enough to be, I want to say it was like middle school, and we were driving in one of the one of the nearby towns, also in the woods, and we came upon a place called Bob's Collectibles. Oh, uh, yeah, I know, I, I saw it. I was like, it's me, the one the prophecy foretold. I'm here. But uh, you know, I went, I went in, and it was my first time ever being inside a comic book shop. You know, I changed my life forever. I was introduced to the idea of a pull list, which just like melted my oh. brain. Yeah, pull list. Yes. My shop still does it. It still does my pen and paper. I'm like, dude, just let me send you an email list. <laughs> It'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome, dude. I, my claim to fame growing up, we had a little convenience store, like mom and pop convenience store. They had like a spinner rack of comics also. I'd go in there once in a while. I'd pick up a couple of random things. And one time I was there and I like had just enough money for either a comic or a whoopee cushion. <laughs> And I actually went up with the whoopee cushion instead. Oh boy. <laughs> Just for fun. And it was it was like, you know, about a week's worth of fun of me like putting it under my dad's desk chair in the middle of the night and <laughs> or whatever until he like he's like, throw this damn thing away. And he just chucked it up like, I just spent all my comic money on a whoopee cushion. You throw it away. Well, if if I'm not mistaken, wasn't there a sort of comic image on the whoopee cushion? Like there's like a, yeah, a yes, graphic there was. depiction. You, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Bob, when you and I met, Bob and I used to work together, and we became friends because of comic books, and we would go to the comic book store together. This is true. This is in Manhattan, and I was just like always in awe of how many books Bob was buying. I was just like, (laughs) wow, Bob's really going for it with these comics. And something we should mention, Bob, is that you're the biggest Spider-Man fan I've ever met like in my entire life. So I guess a question I have for you is, when did you first become aware of Spider-Man and what about him spoke to you so deeply? I, d- I do want to quickly point out that when we were both working together in that same office, I remember it's a, it's almost like a like a meet cute story because I was walking like to get some coffee in my Spider Man mug. And, you've got a, a you've got mail kind of moment. Yeah, well, and, and I was walking through the bullpen where Stephen was sitting, and I saw him, and he was wearing like uh, uh, I think it was your Empire Strikes Back baseball tee. Does yes, that sound familiar. Yes, that, yeah, at that time, yes, it was like and the thirtieth anniversary, so I had that t-shirt yeah and i saw I, I saw him wearing that and i was like that's a guy i could probably make friends with <laughs> <laughs> just, just based on that shirt 
Um, and, I, and I was right. Hilarious. Yeah, the bromance brew. Yeah, that's hilarious. I love it. That's um, so good. So for me, Spider Man. Uh, one of the earliest photos of me from childhood is in one of those uh, Spider-Man Halloween costumes for real little kids. You know, it, oh yeah, like with, the, with, uh, with, with the plastic mask you can barely breathe out of, yeah. and it's like a vinyl costume. Yeah, we all, I had like a Batman one and Superman one, and, and they're like, oh, you know, it's fine. Nowadays, you're like, you can't cover the kid's mouth. You gotta be this. <laughs> like, we barely could breathe in those things. That's no, true. Those <laughs> were like the the Ben Cooper Collegeville masks. Those were they're like. Colored in lead paint. It's just like yes. not, not something you put on a child. But yeah, exactly. um, so I have that. And also next to my parents, uh, the family store immediate in the same strip mall was a video store. Ah, dream, so, dream. Oh, it really was. So one of my regular take homes from that video store was VHS of the first couple episodes of the Spider-Man 67 cartoon. Cool. Those were like so the big I, clamshell boxes, right? Yep, exactly. And so I would watch that religiously as a small child. And I don't know, I, I think it was just like a full package thing for me, like just the colors and the, you know, and then as I got older, of course, I started to identify because I was like, oh man, I get beat up at school too, Peter. You know, <laughs> like, like, again, it's like one of those things that's just, it seems like too much to say that it's part of my identity, but that's kind of true. Yes. Um, Listen, I mean, yeah. I, I often say that, you know, Batman is a, lo- a lot of my identity as well because I just it became so ingrained in me but in particular with like Peter Parker which because he is a kid for much of our idea of what Peter Parker is mm-hmm. you know he has these insecurities and he's a very relatable character because even though he has powers he's still very human and genuine yep you know and I think that's what people gravitate, especially young kids are like, oh, he's a kid and he's a hero and he's got these great powers and yeah. he's got this responsibility and it, it teaches a lot of morals, which is which is definitely very important in comics. Well, and, and a thing that really worked for me, you know, after having gone back and reading like the earlier like Stanley Steve Ditko stuff like Peter Parker was a jerk. Like he was a total, you know, totally selfish. Um, you know, we all know the story. I'm not going to get into it, but like the, mm-hmm. uh, he was somebody that definitely had to grow into, you know, his powers and situation. He wasn't just like this paragon, like Steve Rogers, you know, right. Peter Parker is just, he's a kid from Queens who has this, you know, tremendous power thrust upon him and he has to learn, you know, not, not only how to, how to use it, but to use it well. No, it's true. Totally. We're, we're going to talk about a storyline coming up that is very similar to the Peter Parker storyline. It, it's it's discussed in this issue. But yes, yeah, so that's I, I think that that character just gets to how you feel as a 13 or 14 year old. You know, you have all these new things going on in your body. You don't know how to use them. You're angry all the time for whatever reason. And it's just like, yeah, he just speaks to that that part of you. And he also yeah. has has I mean, we can't deny that costume is just beautiful that design is just so eye-catching and when you're a kid it just draws you in and it's so unique like even to this day like there's not been many other like new out of the gate characters that could create such an iconic look for a character i mean it's been copied and duplicated and you know so on and so forth but just out of the gate it's just such a unique design of how his costume is well he's one of the first ones with the uh the full face mask also like a lot of guys have the exposed mouth or you know not him he could be anybody speaking of the full face mask and people hiding behind their words steven what do we have this month in willie lumpkin's mailbag 
Well, since I uh, put together the outline for this, you know I had to pick the Fantastic Four letter. So I'm going to start with that. Dear Wizard, Doom kills Mr. Fantastic. Real or hoax? (laughs) In a battle to save Latveria from an alien creature brought to Earth by Dr. Doom, Dr. Doom and Mr. Fantastic die. Defeating the alien costs him his life, but before dying, he asks Mr. F for his help. Doom, a final task remains, Richard. One which I cannot, must not leave unfinished. And now when I am so weak, so near death, I find myself forced to rely upon your kindness, your assistance. I cannot leave this mortal coil without bringing our bitter rivalry to its destined conclusion. They hold hands. By destroying you! In a blinding flash of light, Doom and Mr. Fantastic are reduced to ashes. After reading the book, I found out that this might actually be for real. There are two reasons why. One, a young man by the name of Matt Bibb wrote a letter to the Fantastic Forum in this issue. The letter said, I'm so sick of Dr. Doom. It's always the same old thing with Dr. Doom. Marvel's answer to this was, you won't have to worry about Dr. Doom after this issue any longer. After this issue, the only Doom you'll see in the Marvel Universe is in the 2099 Universe. Because this Doom is gone. So we'd like to pay a little tribute. Then there's a portrait of Dr. Doom by David Dave Simmons. Number two, their preview reads, Yes, Mr. Fantastic and Dr. Doom are gone. Very gone. Can the surviving members of the FF cope with their loss? What about the ruined kingdom of Latveria? Who will rule now that Doom is no more? This is from Corey Barnett of the Bronx, New York. And Wizard's response is, Actually, given how disappointing the Fantastic Four comic has been for the past several <laughs> years, and how watered down a villain Dr. Doom has become, who cares? So... <laughs> but the fact that this guy had to like literally write the dialogue like oh man oh he goes through it and i was very excited to see this as i've mentioned (laughs) to you this was one of the biggest storylines of my middle school years i had to track down this issue because i didn't get it when it came out and i like went from convention to convention back issue bin to back issue bin just to find the issue where reed dies i paid 10 bucks for it at a convention in the back of like a fun zone and now it's worth nothing because they brought him back pretty quickly but yeah this is uh this is a big storyline at the time i i'm also just going to say real quick that i am forever going to be reading doctor doom dialogue in your voice now after that <laughs> After that performance, I was doing an impression of Joseph Culp's uh, performance from the Corman movie. I mean, it, oh, was, yeah. it was good, <laughs> which is basically, you know, dark helmet from Spaceballs. But yeah, I think I think you nailed it, though. I think. That well, th- was... thank you, Bob. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> For our second letter, Stephen knows that I stammer when I read. So he gives me an incredibly generous gift in this letter that I have to read here. And it says... Dear Wizard, how does Wolverine get his hair like that? Rob White, Longmeadow, Massachusetts. And Wizard's response, same way I do. Blow your nose in your hands and then slick back your hair. It dries to a thin crust and keeps your hair perfectly in place. Oh my god. <laughs> it's that classic wizard snark. That's also like a gross answer with like an even grosser follow-up, like describing how it works. Yeah. Yes. Like, oh, and this is also pre something about Mary, so they really could have gone a lot of different directions. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. But I, I bet there were a lot of guys in comic book stores who did this, so Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, god. Not, not at Bob's collectibles. <laughs> that was a family place. 
Okay, fair, fair. <laughs> fair enough. We, we weren't in Sussex at the time. We were, we were not. We were stuck on Long Island. No, nobody was. <laughs> you, you and the bears. It was just me, yep. That's pretty funny. Bob, do you have a letter number three? I do. It's right here in front of me. Dear Wizard, do you think that the people who read Wizard have a big advantage over the people who don't? I assume this is like a hazing ritual that you're putting me through having to say this. TJ <laughs> Ridenauer from Shiotville, Ohio. This is good. Good. Better than I could have done. <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. And then the wizard response was, well, yeah. How else would you find out about things like Wolverine's hair and stuff? <laughs> Oh boy! I loved I loved that there was a callback in the exact same issue to a joke that they just made. Was this the very next letter on the page? It was. Yes, this is how they end the column. Outstanding. And that is Willie Lumpkin's mailbag. Let's dive into now the Wizard News section. Funny enough, Wizard is touching on Marvel and the NFL, and it says Marvel and the NFL are launching a new magazine titled. Pro Action, which will include personality profiles of players and coaches, fashion features, news, notes, quizzes, and games. But the highlight of the magazine will be a 16-page custom comic which superheroes from the Marvel Universe will meet NFL stars. January Super Bowl Special Edition will have a Troy Aikman cover and profile. In the comic, the LA Raiders linebacker, Howie Long, will meet the X-Men. Did either of you guys have this? I didn't even <laughs> know this existed. Is, I, it must have I, been short I did not have this, but I have to assume that it was Howie Long's character in Firestorm. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, uh, it's funny because a few issues later, they do a casting call for Spider-Man the movie in mm-hmm. uh, Wizard, and they cast Howie Long as Venom. That's not well, bad. That's a pretty good casting, actually. Yeah. Back, back then, yeah. Could, oh, yeah. Could he act? Yeah, he was, he, in, he was in Broken Arrow. Oh, right. He was in Broken Arrow. That was the second or third rated R movie I saw in theaters. Really? It was a big deal for me. I mean, he's really good on Fox NFL Sunday. Like, he's very, very funny, and he's and he's a good at, He's, like, not a good – he's a good personality, at least, when he's playing yeah. himself. And he's got that, like, flat-top haircut, which is which is pretty solid, and he's a pretty jacked dude. So I, I'd give it to him. Yeah. I'm looking on, online, and the, the second cover has – is Jerry Rice a player? Is that a, a, a football player? <laughs> yes. Yes, he is. And Spider-Man. Is Jerry Rice a football player? I don't know. And, and Spider-Man. Oh, my. God. So that Jerry oh, Rice they, guy and Spider Man. Oh, did they they met? That that kind of makes sense. Jerry Rice has hands. You know, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. And the okay. first the first issue has I think it's a or no, this would be anyway, there's an issue with Joe Namath. See, I know who Joe Namath is. I hope so. With Gambit and Rogue. So I'm surprised you guys who both like football and both like comics did not pick this up. I didn't even know this was a thing. I didn't know it was a thing either, to be honest with you. I was I was getting Sports Illustrated for kids at this time. So I was getting that and I also had the I have the first issue of Super Pro. If that doesn't matter. Oh, I remember Super Pro. Yeah, yeah. I had a few issues of that. Yep. Steven, what do you have next in this Wizards News section? So uh, in the Wizard News section, there's a new Marvel scholarship which which was awarded to Brandon Vietti a 19-year-old from Fresno, California. He's given full tuition to the Joe Kubert School of Art, and Joe himself was one of the judges. So I looked up 
Brandon Vietti thinking, well, you know, what, what did he go on to do? He was a storyboard artist on uh, the new Batman Adventures and Superman, the animated series. And most recently, he was a producer on Young Justice and Batman Death and the Family, as well as a bunch of the DC animated features. So that was kind of cool to see that. That's that, awesome. That, that, that is awesome. Off. Pretty cool. I, I wonder if he's on Twitter. We could like, hey, we, we talked about you on our podcast. He is on Twitter. I, I looked him up and uh, of course you did. We'll, we'll tag. We'll tag him in the in the. <laughs> we should give tag. him. You got to give him the follow though. I followed. Okay. I, he got the follow. He right. got the follow. Oh, hey now. He got All the right. follow. He's we're moving on. So we have one more thing in this Wizards news section. It says Max Card Snafu, and it's Max is in the Max with you know two X's. Topps exclusive Max Chase card originally solicited for Wizard Twenty Eight is packaged with this issue. We apologize for any inconvenience this may have caused. Oopsie. <laughs> you you know that people are writing in in the next issue to complain about this. They're like shaking their fists to the ceiling as they're sitting there like, why, wizard? Why did you do this to me? I was looking for that Max card. Yeah, dear oh. wizard, I will never subscribe to your magazine for you again. again. But I'm... I'll be in Kmart and I'll buy the next issue when it comes out. <laughs> no, see, I would have gone back to Bob's collectibles and been like, Bob, what are you trying to pull? And, <laughs> and he'd have been like, where are your parents? Get out of here. <laughs> Scram, kid. <laughs> Go get it from your parents' convenience store. <laughs> Bob didn't fun. know that much about me. <laughs> what did he? Oh, huh, maybe interesting. You could be like, hey, I'm your long lost son, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is, is Bob still there? Uh, no, actually, sadly, he uh, passed away. Oh, um, this got this got sad now. Just no. Well, well, I mean, Bob. Where go, Stephen? No, no, he was old when I met him. He wasn't cut short or anything. Quite the opposite, I would say. No, he was always super nice to me. My pull list was in a green like file folder every every couple of weeks when I went to pick it up, and he was always would always have it ready for me by the time I came through the door. It was just really wonderful stuff at Bob's Collectibles. Oh, that's awesome. He sounds great. He was, yeah. <laughs> he sounds great. He sounds like a great guy. He sounds swell. <laughs> he's he's probably me in the future, and I just like time travel back into you know the the early nineties and open a store. And can I, can stuff. I? Go ahead. Can I run the video store that's right next to it? You could. You could do that. Could. This would be a great retirement. Imagine if you could spend your retirement years in the 90s. Selling comics to myself. <laughs> I'm getting my money's worth. <laughs> no, no, you want this one. It's going to value. Trust me. Yeah. You're, spending, you're spending your retirement uh, with <laughs> funds that you're giving yourself from your childhood. No, no. Buy all these copies of the death of Superman, kid. You'll you'll be rich before you know it. Put put those foil covers back. You don't need them. <laughs> Wet works number one. It's a hot book. Yeah. <laughs> Buy everything of young bloods. You'll never believe how it's going to go up in value. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be glad you have this when the Grifter movie comes out. <laughs> Oh boy, that's good. So, Stephen, tell us what we have going on in our table of contents. So we're going to start this with looking back the major events of 1993. So Wizard dubs 1993 the year of the publishers. Quote, 1992 is often looked upon as the year of the creator. In 1993, the empire struck back. Many publishers coveting the sales of those comic book rebels, the image crew, and encouraged by the success of an upstart publisher, Valiant, 
launched an all-out attack on the superhero market with superhero universes of their own, most of which were character and publisher-oriented rather than creator-oriented. So that's uh, their take on 1993. So in regards to the specific brands, with DC, they say, DC has shed its reputation as the most conservative publisher in comics. However, that hasn't made the company any less dependable. It's the IBM in the comics world. A few of the storylines that they praise are the death of Superman follow-up, Reign of the Superman. They call Nightfall the most high-profile Batman storyline since Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. And they single out uh, Vertigo's death, the high cost of living. Uh, I guess. I mean, I personally was mostly buying DC at this time. But that's just me. So, I mean, I understand Marvel was selling better at the time and so was, you know, Image and such. But whatever. I, I like what I like. This sort of branding, though, definitely worked on me at this at this point in my life with the uh, the reign of the Superman. And, oh, totally. And I thought Nightfall was awesome. You know, yeah. like it's yes. just... Uh, but it, it was just like, you know, very, very much of its time. You know, just uh, give, give them more pouches on belts and, you know, ankle straps and blades and all that you know it's i mean i, I was hooked on both i was too i i have i mean somewhere downstairs i have so many of the funeral of a friend reign of the superman books it's like i must have bought a ton of them and then like you said i'd go to the spindle racks and buy like a pack of four or eight or whatever it came with just to you know i missed this one. Oh, i'm gonna get a whole bunch i don't care i got duplicates whatever do, do either of you guys still have the the death of superman in the black bag in the bag no definitely not yeah, nor, nor do I. Does anyone? It, I don't I don't think anybody does. I, I've seen it in comic book stores for sale for around $15. Oh. Because so. people yeah. thought that it was going to be, you know, they, they were going to be able to print money with it. Yeah. I mean, you know, the problem is that comics, nobody stays dead for too long. And if Superman had actually stayed dead for even as long as Barry Allen stayed dead after Crisis on Infinite Earths, it would have been worth something, I feel like. But, yeah. you know, he was back in less than six months, you know, so. Right. But I also think that there was like a pretty big sea change in comics around then, too, with the way that they were printed and how much. Yeah, that's so. true. You know, I think I think the the supply completely overwhelmed the whatever demand they thought there would be. Yeah, it it wasn't as rare to get that book. It was just like yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah. So in contrast to the praise they heap on DC, this article really gives Image Comics the business. The company has received harsh criticism for nearly all corners of the industry due to its inability to meet shipping deadlines and we've talked about this ad nauseum because of so many books being laid or just never existing or whatever this problem continued to plague image throughout the year however it does give todd mcfarlane credit for making sure spawn stuck to a consistent publishing schedule and says when critics bashed McFarlane for his ability to write, he responded by hiring some of the best writers in the business in the person of Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman, Frank Miller, and Dave Sim to script the title. It also notes that Jim Lee has more or less disappeared from the scene after his Wildcats miniseries. Jim Lee has also come under fire this year, but not for scheduling problems or writing ability, but lack 
of output. Harsh criticisms. Yeah, and it's interesting because as this goes on, they have a roundtable series with creators and, and executives in the comic book industry. And Jim Lee is one of them. And he kind of talks about his frustrations with the industry at this time and how it was all about the gimmicks and ordering a million copies of a book when you should have ordered smaller numbers. And right. So maybe he was getting a little disenchanted. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, he was also working on Gen 13 at this time, and I wonder if that just became more of his passion project and focus. Who knows? So uh, moving on with this, in terms of Valiant, once again, Wizard loves Valiant. They say, (laughs) more than any publisher, Valiant has guided the comic book industry into its current superhero-dominated state. They market to investors, collectors, and readers in equal doses, while at the same time making a good on time shipping record. Bob, were you were you a fan of Valiant at this point? I I would say that I was tangentially aware of Valiant. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that I would say I was a fan per se. He, I mean, better than I, I I wasn't even aware of them at this time. <laughs> this even was like, was like what? I, I, yeah, I, I was aware of them in that like I saw them on the shelf and I was just like that's that's not Spider Man. And, <laughs> and then I would keep walking. But yeah, why bother? That's a very good point. But Marvel, which suffered losses in both market share and general popularity this year, took those setbacks in stride. It seemed to be waging its wars on Wall Street rather than the comic shops these days. The company, which recently acquired card maker Fleer, further expanded its entertainment empire by adding popular toy maker toy biz to its list of assets really toy biz was owned by marvel for a time that was a golden age yeah well that was when ron perlman kind of owned all of it that's true and and still does does he not he still owns like a major portion of marvel if i'm not mistaken think so at least some portion of it uh what what disney was willing to let him hold on Mm -hmm. to i guess and for a while was unwilling to kind of promote the female characters famously. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That didn't age well there, buddy. <laughs> no, no. And, and in term, and oh, just, just business-wise, he lost a huge share of the market. Yeah, for sure. In terms of storylines, from the X-Men world, they cite some of the highlights, like Executioner's Song, as well as Magneto sucking out Wolverine's adamantium. Ouch. Also praise Daredevil's Fall from Grace storyline, which features the return of Elektra and Daredevil's new duds. So, guys, what are some of your favorite 1993 stories? Bob, you can go first. Oh, man. Well, uh, I would say that for me, and this this was around the time where I first started to like seriously pursue current issues of comics was this was around when Maximum Carnage started coming out. And I was on vacation with my family in Florida for it, it was like one of those like uh, road trip vacations. We were down there seeing family and I would go into various uh, supermarkets or drugstores down in Florida looking for one of the 14 issues of Maximum Carnage that had come out. And I wouldn't read a new one until I was all current. Hmm. So yeah. that was that was the summer of me hunting down each and I still have all of them. So that was not, o- not only was that kind of a formative experience for me in my in my comic buying habits. Uh, it was one of the first like major story arcs that I ever read as a kid. You know, I've 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 revisited it since. It's fine, <laughs> you know. But uh, 
introduced us to Nightwatch, which I think a lot of people failed to appreciate. Yes. Steven, uh, what about you? What were you picking up in 93? As, as we mentioned, uh, Reign of the Superman and uh, Batman Nightfall were big ones for me. The Robin series started at the end of 1993 with oh, Tom yeah. Grummet's art and Chuck Dixon writing it. And I loved that book and collected it into 1994 uh, and 95. And then... It was kind of the tail end of Hal Jordan's reign as Green Lantern. And mm-hmm. that was another big storyline for me. Uh, and just in general, in 1993, I was just starting to get into comic books in a, in a major way, uh, not just as a per- as a kid who would go to the comic book stand and pick out random issues here and there. I was there was a comic book store that opened up in my hometown, Beth Page, called JB Comics and Cards. And I would just go through, you know, the back issue bins and, and pick up comics from the 70s and 80s and try to kind of piece together the history of it a little bit. So that was kind of my memory of, of uh, 1993 was kind of this explosion of the comic book stores uh, in these small suburban towns. Yeah, I would agree. I remember, you know, going to, there was two places. We, we had Bailey's Comics, which was in Babylon at the time, but then moved to Lindenhurst, Long Island. And then there was another place. I don't remember what it was called. It was somewhere a little bit further away, but I would go there once in a while. It was just kind of like in awe of these these shops. And yeah, I was big on buying the Reign of the Supermen, um, Nightfall. And I was also, I had a brief kind of like interest or obsession with characters like U.S. Agent. And I was trying to find yeah. comics of U.S. Agent for a little while because he was kind of getting popular every once in a while or like appear in place of a Captain America story. And I was like, and I and there was no like rhyme or reason. It's just if it was on the cover, I was buying it for some reason. I don't know why. Interesting. And furthermore, they dubbed 1993 the year of marketing mayhem. From cover gimmicks to bus stop billboards, comics have been more in your face than ever before. Comics were just all over the place. Obviously, they're speaking of the chromium covers the hologram covers bagged comics and much much more but because of backlash from the consumer it says fans will be seeing fewer enhancements in 94 what will adam do without those gimmick (laughs) (laughs) they also talk about this new phenomenon of zero issues which nowadays like a zero issue is such commonplace that to, to think like, what is zero issue mm-hmm. back then is, is kind of funny because <laughs> there was an entire run of the new 52 after they had gone about one year in where they did all 52 like different titles did zero issues. And people was like, oh, you got to get that zero issue. I don't know how this all started. I'm like, you know, everyone knows how this started. <laughs> anyway. to, to me, um, the, the zero issue in the new 52 kind of felt like guys – we forgot one. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I agree. I 100% agree. Zero issues established themselves as a tradition this year and are almost always associated with an origin story. Books like Exo Manowar Zero, Cyber Force Zero, and Magneto Zero. Of course, DC would take this fad and run with it in 94 because they do what, Stephen? Zero hour. Yeah, man, did I love Zero Hour, but we'll get to that. I bought both the trade of that and the Batman one just to reread them in preparation for when we get to Zero Hour. Oh, fantastic. There's some of my favorite covers for those Zero Hour covers. They are some good covers. But if we're talking about trends 
in the trading card world, the briefest trend of the year had to be the Pog craze. Was this a brief trend? I felt like Pogs were around for a while. But I, I did that for a little bit, yeah. I did it for a little while. M- middle school it was like a thing. In the gap. Anticipation for the small round cardboard collectibles was whipped into a frenzy as many major card manufacturers geared up for publication or production. But by the time the first products reached the market, the excitement died down as thousands of collectors, retailers, and manufacturers simultaneously came to their senses. <laughs> Sorry, Pogs. But didn't everyone have like that big weighted Pog? The Slammer. It's called the yeah, Slammer. That's the slammer. Yeah, and they have these giant tubes, like where you put all these pogs in and everything. Yeah, the problem with pogs is that like you could only play with them by destroying them because right. like you had to use the big slammer. Yeah, and and like I never wanted to do that, so the alternative was to leave them in the tube, which mm-hmm. is somehow even less fun. And <laughs> and then so it's so it's like, what do I have these for? I can't look at them. I can't use them as intended. They're just it's a tube full of cardboard. It was also an early form of gambling for children. And, it's kind of a gamble. And, and the reason I never played is because I bought all these pogs that I specifically liked. And I didn't want to give them away to someone like in my school. It's like you're on the craps table in, yeah. in, in fifth grade. I had, like, I had true lies pogs and the mask pogs. Really? Yeah, I had true lies pogs. And I'm like, I don't want to give my Arnold Schwarzenegger pog to just some rando in my school. I actually forgot about that element of it, and I recall now definitely like welshing on some pog games. Oh yeah, like, totally. I would suppose I would lose pogs, but then I would just like snatch them and run away. I'd be like, "You're not getting this one." Same thing. I did the same thing. <laughs> what, what if like 25 years later now someone comes looking for you? Like, hey, with my freaking pog, son of a. You know, you know what? I would like. I, 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 I'm not a smoker, but I would definitely like light a cigarette and be like, I knew this day would come. <laughs> I've been waiting for this for 25 years. You get like Rocky Balboa to, to break a guy's legs for some time. <laughs> oh, anyway, finally, Wizard sums up the year this way. 1993 may be remembered as the year comics finally became more of an industry than a hobby. All of these events add up to, a, to big business. We're clearly in the midst of a comic explosion that rivals the golden age. So can 1994 top 93? Definitely the only question is how, and we're about to find out. Dun, dun, dun. So yeah, so the next uh, section is called Industry Roundtable, the future of the comic book marketplace. Uh, They interview a bunch of people like Jim Lee and Jim Shooter were kind of the biggest names. This Uh, was an awesome read too, sorry. Yeah, it was. And so... They discuss what trends they see developing in 1994. They note that 1993 was once again driven by the huge success of the Death of Superman storyline. Quote, the shadow of the speculator-driven market reared its head in the early part of 1993. Comics were looked upon as a new source of quick cash turnaround, and manufacturers took notice, offering a plethora of enhanced versions of their books. Unfortunately, the high-riding market didn't last. What do we do till then? Oh, no. To quote Bo Smith, whoever that is. He's, he's a comic book writer. And at this point, I think they said he was at one of the, you know, the other ones. Oh, the other ones. Okay, whatever that means. You know, the Mirage or the... Oh, one of those like, you know, Ultraverse or, you know, random company. <laughs> I'll look it up because now I seem like somebody didn't do the homework. But yeah. <laughs> you know nothing. Do your work. <laughs> but according to Bo Smith, who 
who I don't know who exists, and I don't really care either way. What? If you're served donkey dump on a silver platter with a beautiful flower arrangement, it still doesn't make the donkey dump taste good. So essentially, <laughs> the focus on going is to be on story. What they're saying is most of 93 was eating jackass manure. <laughs> Well, I think they're just talking about how they would have all these fancy gimmicky covers and inside it would just be a terrible story. I say I want to look up Bo Smith because I think he had a terrible experience. He's from, he's he from, he was uh, Eclipse Comics was where he was. No. But he also wrote for Guy Gardner Warrior, a book that I read. Okay. Interesting. And Spawn, a little book yeah. called Spawn. A little book, yeah. He's a little around. known Donkey Dump Chronicles. Donkey Dump Chronicles. You got to give him credit. That's a great book. Title of my next movie, Donkey Dump Chronicles. <laughs> oh, God. So the next section is called Lament for the Lost, a look back at the comic book titles that bit the dust in 1993. To quote the article, 1993 saw unprecedented expansion in the comic industry, but when the industry exploded, some titles got burned by the blast. On the Dark Horse side, one of the titles that caught my eye was um, Young Indiana Jones. Did you guys know that this was a comic book? I, I did. Mean, it was a TV show that I watched religiously. So, Bob, did you actually collect this one? Well, I mean, at this point, I wasn't really collecting anything, but I I was aware of it. I don't recall ever reading it, but... I, yeah. I, so they refer to it as um, one of Dark Horse's few unsuccessful licensed comics. One of so, one of the few. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Because they were also doing like Alien Predator at this time and RoboCop. So did did they have the Star Wars license yet? I think they yeah they, they did, did right point, right they did, yeah it was like they Dark, did. Dark Empire and all those. Yeah, I've still got a poster on my wall that was a prop in Hot and Nerdy of like the Star Wars timeline for 1999. For Dark Horse Comics, like what's coming oh, out when? So if you guys oh, need to cool. know what's coming out in 1999, I can answer. Does, does Michael know that I was in Hot and Nerdy? Were you? Yeah. He has a good role. Were you one of the guys at the uh, comic convention that was like the uh, one of the salesmen? Like, uh... I, I I was the half of a power couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was like the comic book dealer who's yelling about, uh, you know, Batman and Wolverine. Okay. Movie adaptations. And Bob plays Kevin, who he's just constantly yelling at. Okay. The Green Ninja Turtle shirt. I, I, I haven't watched it since Stephen was first on the show because it's, it's kind of funny. When when Stephen was first on the show as a guest, before he became sucked into this world that we're in, Adam goes, you got to watch this thing. And I watched the first episode. And I was like, wow, this is really, really good. But like, all I remember is the girl in green, mostly. That's okay. all anyone remembers. Yeah, she <laughs> Yes. That's all I remember when I was there. <laughs> yeah, I want to say half of the like set, like the, the convention set was Bob's uh, collection. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. yeah, I brought a lot of stuff to the to the literal table. To the table, yeah. <laughs> and not only that, you had specific displays that you wanted to set up and, and ways that it could be shown on camera. You were very specific about the way your collection would be shown off. Well, that, well, that was like my only job. Like, was <laughs> what did the contract say? I need it this way or I'm not doing it. <laughs> Call my agent. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Yes. Anybody, anybody on screen reading my books will use tongs and gloves. White gloves. For handling. Yes, exactly. <laughs> anyway, so back to the back to this article. <laughs> so in terms of, of DC and what they canceled, Justice Society of America went to that great back issue bin in the sky. According to the article, DC felt it was too old-fashioned for today's readers. Also gone are Green Lantern Mosaic, Black Canary, and Black Condor. On the image front, they said bye-bye to Shaman's Tears, Wildstar, and a parody book called Stupid. 
to quote Todd McFarlane, stupid was stupid. Oh, God. Dude. I, I swear, Shaman's Tears was referenced on a TV show like Seinfeld at least once. I feel like, like, uh, I don't know why, but I just, I hate that name so much. It's terrible. Shaman's it's really Tears. terrible. Well, like, if, I, if, if the title of the book, like, elicits like a sad feeling like i'm you know i don't i don't want to sell covers let's put that way <laughs> yeah Plus, shaman just, is obviously from alpha flight yeah i guess i'm not gonna go to the store and be like all right i gotta choose action comics or shaman's tears <laughs> yeah, yeah right. right exactly i'm a little surprised about justice society because i love the justice society of america that's one of my Likewise. favorite things yeah. DC comics well that one comes and, and goes too it does come and go a lot like before new 52 they had that amazing jeff johns run where alex ross did all the covers for and mm-hmm. you know they tied it to kingdom come it's just unbelievable writing and artistry and everything and black canary is another one of those characters that like they give her a book it sells a little bit and then it just dies off. And it's one of those characters that she's such a great tentpole, like important DC character, but they can't figure out what to do with her the right way. And it always bums me out with, because they, they try and they fail over and over and over again with her. It's so weird. And so. Also in terms of uh, justice society, there was a mini series at this point called the golden age, which I did buy on the newsstand, which I still have it. It's beautiful. It's an Elseworlds Justice Society of America storyline. Oh, really? I want to look that up then. I, 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 as you know, I love Elseworlds stories, so that's kind of cool. Check it oh, out. I will. Is it also subtitled Shaman's Tears sequel? <laughs> <laughs> then I won't buy it. Shaman's Tears number zero. It's called, <laughs> uh, it's called The Crying Pope. Oh, no. <laughs> that's rough. Meanwhile, Marvel's long list of canceled comics is no surprise since it is the most prolific comics publisher ever. Books leaving that label include Night Stalkers, Cage, Sensational She-Hulk, and Marvel Milestone. And in their licensed comic department, you can bid farewell to Meteor Man, Hellraiser, Pinhead, and finally, Mad Dog, the comic from Bob Newhart's sitcom, Bob. Why? Because the series is returning to air sans the comic book element. Because the show was based around a comic book guy and they're taking that out because TV, period. They like to tinker, those those TV executives. Those TV guys, what do they know? Bob, were you watching Bob? Uh, I don't think I don't think this particular iteration, I'm, I don't have any memory of this at all. I, I remember the pilot. I was going to say Bob returned to air in the 90s. I don't I have I do not recall this. Well, Bob Newhart had a, basically a show called Bob and he played a comic book artist or and I don't know, like an on an aging comic book story or something like that. That's about all I remember. Yeah, it, it, it was like kind of like a golden agey type character and then they decided oh. to redo it for the 90s so he became, you know, the Rob Liefeld Todd McFarlane version of oh. Mad Dog. <laughs> Pouches and guns. Yes, yeah. exactly. And exactly. That, lots of guns and lots of spikes on this body. That's yeah. where the comedy came from. On the on the shoulder pads where it's, you know, the most useful. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I do have to say real quick that I was one of the few people that bought the Meteor Man comic. Oh nice. Did you really? Because I saw as a kid I saw that movie in theaters three times. Oh what? 
Really? I, I saw it I twice. Loved it. I love that movie. <laughs> so when we finally get to talk about that movie, Stephen will invite you back to join us on that podcast to discuss it because I am dying to talk about this movie. I can't wait. It is. I it signed me up. I will be there. Yes. Okay. This is good. Already, we, 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 I'm so excited. excited. I am too. Luther Vandross is, is the bad guy in Meteor Man. That's all you need to know to like get people Wait, to buy. Is it Luther Vandross? I thought it was Frank Gorshin. No, Luther Vandross is one of the villains. Or, or is it really Bill Cosby? Ooh. Oh well, I mean that's a true crime doc, isn't it? Ooh. Yes. <laughs> or could we say the marketing department was the true villain of Meteor Man? Yeah, that, yeah. Could, that could be. He had a great costume though. That suit was awesome. I gotta say. Oh, period. he's so good. Definitely. Anyway. Looking ahead, what 1994 holds for the comic book fan covers some of 1994's most anticipated storyline. From Dark Horse Comics, there's talk of Mike Mignoli, uh, Mignola's Hellboy? Is it Mignola? I, th- I, think, it's, I think it's a soft G. It's a min- Mignola. Mignola, that's right. That's right. Mignola. Being released in March under their... A legend imprint. Mignola is pulling out all the stops in this John Byrne scripted four-issue miniseries. This was the character's first ongoing storyline, and we know how well all that turned out for him. Yeah, kind of crazy to see this, uh, like this kind of like little blurb about Hellboy in the 1994 uh, article, and, and mm-hmm. just seeing how big the character went on to become. It did become pretty big. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, of Dark Horse, he's probably the, I would say, maybe the most well-known character of theirs, would you think? Could you think of anything, anybody bigger than than Hellboy? Without counting Star Wars? Yeah, I, I was going to say, outside of a licensed property, I don't think so. Yeah, no. Right. So, in DC Comics, uh, they're teasing their Emerald Twilight series, written by Ron Mars, with pencils by Daryl Banks. Quote, the conclusion will shock you. Jordan drains the entire power battery on Oa, killing all of the GLC, and then goes off into space, seeking still more power. By the way, spoiler alert, wizard, this is a huge <laughs> moment you're ruining here. Uh, this also- they pulled the whole thing right there? <laughs> yeah, basically. You should put the spoiler alert at the top, right? Like, that's- well, I I wrote spoiler alert wizard because they didn't say spoiler oh. alert. It was just oh oh oh. <laughs> I was, I was like, like, dudes, like, come on. Uh, that was like you, that was like an alert of like you have just read a spoiler. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. we told you the whole book. Don't buy it now. Period. Well, I guess they did write Death of Superman <laughs> as the, the title how, of the storyline. So how Jordan cancels Green Lantern Mosaic. <laughs> uh, so this article also teases the first appearance of my favorite Green Lantern. Kyle Rayner, quote, he is a freelance artist in some trouble, and it will be interesting to see how this flawed Green Lantern reacts to being handed one of the single greatest weapons in the universe. And we were talking earlier about Peter Parker, and the Kyle Rayner storyline was very much inspired by the Peter Parker storyline. And this like storyline meant the world to me in seventh grade. Like I wanted to be Kyle Rayner in the worst way. Mm-hmm. I would just engage in these weird escapist Kyle Rayner fantasies as I was, he was sitting he was in a, my classroom. He was he was a great character though. I mean, that was I, as much as I enjoy and respect Hal Jordan. Like we we needed a new GL. Do you know Kyle Rayner holds one of the most horrific 
tragedies of any comic book character. Oh, know? yeah. Oh, my God. I, I I was reading that comic book in a barber shop. <laughs> really? <laughs> are, we, are, are we talking about the fridge incident? Oh, yeah, the fridge incident. Yeah, yeah. one major force basically uh, killed his girlfriend and then shoved Alex. her in the fridge. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And, they op- and he opened up the fridge to find his girlfriend squished in there. That's oh. that's that's a whole term now for storytelling of uh, like oh they fridged so and so. Yeah, I, I, that. Yeah. Oh god, that was so brutal. And um, we'll get to it at some point in comics. Man, and, and, yeah, that 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 was a tough one. Yeah, that was tough. Unfortunately, though, I do like Kyle Rayner. Not my favorite Green Lantern. Not even by a long shot. Oh come on. You're, he's, he's a Kilowog guy. You could tell. <laughs> I do like Kilowog. Um, actually, one of the newest Green Lanterns is a character by the name of Jessica Cruz, and I love her character. Then I would probably say Guy Gardner is my second favorite. I do love Guy Gardner. Just because he's such an and like he just will sit in Oa, just drink a beer and just like hang out in the bar there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was the first thing that came to mind when you mentioned Guy Gardner. I was like, oh yeah, he's just like cracking brews. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he's just, how did this guy get a ring? I want to know. I need to see that origin story. I've never seen it. I need to know how did this guy <laughs> get all this great will to get this ring? Like of everybody on earth, this <laughs> It's because, yeah, well, the ring found him when he was hammered. So they were like, oh, yeah, no fear here, obviously. That's drunk as hell. <laughs> That's perfect. I love it. That, that tracks. That, 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 that may or may not be true. I don't know. He was a football player, if I remember correctly. He was also Warrior. Do you remember that? Oh, my God. I was I was all in on Guy Gardner, Warrior. I had, I had the first few issues. <laughs> I could not wait for that book to come out. It was, uh, it was something. I, I'd love to do that. I'd love to, like, contact DC and be like, listen, we need, like, a retelling of Guy Gardner's origin story. How did he get that ring? I need to know. There's no rhyme or reason. Jon Stewart makes sense. Hal Jordan makes most sense sometimes. Kyle Rayner makes a lot of sense. Well, in, but in Guy's defense, he grew up in an abusive household, became a, a juvenile delinquent, and then wanted to be a social welfare caseworker working with kids who had disabilities. So, okay. so come right. on. He's got an attitude, sure. They, they yeah. also might have been just like, we. I don't know, just give it to the first guy you find. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's the Kyle Rayner story. <laughs> no, no, no. The, the first guy. Oh, I see that. Oh, oh, I missed that joke. I right over the as, as I was saying it, I was like, "This isn't going to land." <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to tell him. <laughs> Give it to the first gardener you find. Oh, yeah. that's even worse. He's putting flowers in his it's, garden. See, he was a he was a green thumb. <laughs> Let's move on. We have to move on now. Okay. The weirdest thing though about Green Lantern, and I have to say this before it goes off my head. You know, they're all, you know, it's sector 2418 is their sector. Is that right? I forget exactly. That sounds right. I thought it was, yeah, I think that sounds right. Something like that. Why of all of the sector are all the Green Lanterns of that sector? And there's six of them now, all from Earth. Doesn't make sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. Why are there six Green Lanterns on Earth? It's it's 2814, by the way. Oh, it's 2814. It was two four one eight. I'm sorry. You were whatever. close. I'll give it to you. But I close. whatever. You know, sometimes you just need a few Earthlings. I guess there's a lot of aliens in that club. There's a lot of aliens. Well, other, other, who else oh, is God. in the sector though? Like what other planets? Yeah. Like what? what what's what's the you know what's the pool like? 
Mars. I guess they have Martians. Yeah, right? I mean, single-celled organisms. You know, like I mean, I'm gonna. I don't know. I feel like I feel like if I'm gonna be drafting guys from that sector, I'll be like, oh, Earth. <laughs> that place is too much of a mess as it is. I gotta yeah. get with her. <laughs> Other DC stories include the return of Doomsday, the return of Bane, the graphic novel The Power of Shazam, with art by Jerry or- Ordwell. Ordway. Ordway. Ugh, God, I can't read. This is my problem. I went to college. I have three degrees, two masters, and one bachelor's, and I still can't read. Are you writing those degrees in reading? Creative writing. Oh, there you reading. go. This is on <laughs> you. It's a one way street, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. It's all out, nothing in. There you go. So, they didn't say reading comprehension was a requirement, so there you go. Um, and finally, of 1994's most memorable storylines, which I'm sure we'll cover in great detail here at a later date, is Zero Hour crisis in time the, the weird thing about this is they also spoil that how jordan's the villain of zero it's, hour like why which is a giant reveal Ugh, no comment moving on so in terms of image the brand's most popular hero spawn will be teaming with dc's most popular hero batman in two batman spawn crossover comics quote in a surprise move spawn artist creator todd mcfarland grabbed Frank Miller to write the 48-page bookshelf one-shot. When asked if Miller is doing full plot and script, McFarlane responds, It's Frank's gig. I'm just there for feedback. That's funny. In that exact tone of voice? That's my, that's my uh, Todd McFarlane impression. It's, he's holding a baseball while he says it. Yes, he is. <laughs> Another book that I bought both of, which yeah, I still I have. have them so there's also talk about Jim Lee's Kindred miniseries, a Violator miniseries, and finally, quote, Rob Liefeld's Extreme Studios will return Youngblood, Brigade, and Bloodstrike to a monthly basis in, in April after a hiatus. Liefeld is taking some time off to concentrate on those books and get them back on track. Sure, Who Rob. Gives <laughs> Who cares? I really don't care. Great. Brigade, who I always call, you know, something wrong. Youngblood, which... That first issue was so bad, I, I could barely get through it. And Bloodstrike. I feel like Bloodstrike is something that like vampires do when they want to raise. You know, like it's just like a... <laughs> that's it. We're going on a Bloodstrike. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. So that's a book I would read. But the actual Bloodstrike didn't do anything for me. So, Bob, what's <clears throat> going on with Marvel in 1994? Well, in 1994... With the X-Men, we have the wedding of Scott Summers and Jean Grey. But, the article says, the books to watch in 94 are the Spider-Man titles because huge changes are about to take place. In February's Amazing Spider-Man number 388, the mystery of Peter Parker's parents is resolved. However, the whole situation has threatened Peter's private life, so he won't want to be Peter Parker anymore. And he will hide more and more within his Spider-Man persona. There are rumors of a costume change. Hmm. I don't, rem- I don't remember this at all. Like, I don't remember the reveal of his parents at all. It was um, kind of, it was, it was pretty stupid, <laughs> admittedly. So his parents come back to him, I think, you know, in, in 93, before the events of like Maximum Carnage. And they're like, oh, we were spies. We were in prison. And if you were reading, bef- if you were reading Spider-Man comics at the time, this was when Harry Osborn was the Green Goblin. Yes, yes. And it is ultimately revealed that Harry Osborn hired the chameleon 
to make life model decoys like the like um Nick Fury, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. uh, would do of of Peter Parker's parents to kind of break him down psychologically. But this was revealed after Harry died, so, you know, several issues previous. And nothing, nothing really comes of it. At least in my memory, it's just one of those things that like is just kind of easier to, easier to forget about than understand. Another throwaway Spider-Man story that they later on retconned away. I don't know that they retconned it away, but I I know that they're just like. Like they will sometimes reference it in the books and just be like, "Oh man, that was a weird weekend, wasn't it?" You know, like <laughs> it was a weird weekend, <laughs> and that was just like that's that's all the attention that it still gets. One time in '94, <laughs> <laughs> remember that weekend when my parents came back and then they turned into robots and attacked me? That was, <laughs> that was nuts. That was that was crazy. crazy and that's, well, and that's what happens. His father like mutates into like a big mech and tries to kill him, and then his oh. his mom bot is like, "Wait, no, he's my son, I guess." But the costume change, uh, I have to believe they were referring to the Scarlet Spider. Oh, okay. Okay, sure. I, I, I get that. Yeah, that makes he, sense. He did appear in 94. He did appear in 94. And that was right. that was not related to the Spider Clone, or it was related to the Spider Clone? I think so. Isn't that Ben Riley is yeah. Scarlet Spider? Okay. Yep. Yeah, which is his clone. Yep. And and oftentimes becomes, you know, villain or anti-hero at certain points in, in comics no. history. Nobody, nobody knows how to use that character. So no. most recently, they tried to turn him into like Diet Deadpool. That didn't go super well. But yeah, you know he's he's out there somewhere. He's still alive after. Yeah, they can't kill him. <laughs> they, well, they, they've tried. <laughs> yeah, they've tried many times. Yes, that's the problem with, with clones. He at one point he figured out how to clone himself, so he made multiple versions of his own of his own clone of Peter Parker. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, and, and you know, when you have like the the copy of a copy, like you know, it's not going to be as bright, like the the, the multiplicity situation. <laughs> He's got the goggles on. Oh, Sorry, boy. Steve, that leg's going to have to come off. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really bad movie. I'm sorry. That's a it's great a, movie. Really, I, I love Michael Keaton. It's it's a fine movie. It's it's fine. He dropped he dropped out of Batman Forever to do Multiplicity. And you know what though? And I'll, I'll take that. I don't blame him. Okay. <laughs> I don't, okay. Fine. Because well, because that gives me both Multiplicity and Batman Forever, and I love both films. <sighs> yeah. All right. I'll accept this. He plays Doug, the main character, and then he has two clones, Lance Rico. And Lan- third Lan- and, well, Lance and Rico, and then the fourth clone, who is simply four. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's it's so funny. It is pretty funny. Don't they open a pizza place at the end of the movie? Yeah, yes, three, yes. Three, three guys from nowhere is the name yeah. of the pizza place. Yeah. You know a lot about multiplicity. I can't believe this has never really, come up in our friendship. I'm, I'm telling you, I love this. I love this movie. And number four delivers the pizza on his bicycle and he throws it like a newspaper at the house. <laughs> and he's just like, pizza! And he just like chucks it. And that's how the movie ends. It's the best. Oh, God. Oh, Christmas. Everybody at home, watch Multiplicity. It is a classic. If anyone's still listening. Did you say Jiminy Christmas? Yes. <laughs> Oh God! I have children. I can't swear as easily as I used to anymore. That's true. I have to come up with inventive swears. Yes, I do that too. So what's what do you got next, Stephen? So there's coverage of 1993's Philly Fest, which we talked about in a bonus episode. And in this coverage, it even features pictures of Todd McFarlane in a chicken costume. And speaking of getting egg on your face, it's time for Heroes in Motion.
Beginning in September of 1994, Rob Liefeld's Youngblood characters will star in their own animated series. To produce the cartoon, Liefeld is joining forces with Roustabout's Productions, a newly formed animation company made up of six veteran animation artists who have worked on Batman the Animated Series, X-Men, Darkwing Duck, and others. To quote Liefeld, they really blew me away. Their presentation was fantastic. Liefeld is also quick to point out that he will still retain complete ownership of the characters, which was not an option with other animation companies. Work has already begun on this series, and a two-minute promotional short will be available for the public this November. What the hell, Rob? Where's this show? It it, it never happened. <laughs> of course, it like it, like <laughs> when you read this, this article, it sounds like a sure bet. Uh, this company was like, uh, Rob, we got three issues. What are we gonna do with this show? <laughs> we got nothing to base it off of. Yeah, the presentation so- blew him away. He never came back. <laughs> So as of today, the only thing available is a five-minute sales tape that you can find on YouTube. The animation's pretty cool, but again, there's no show. It's not there, which is weird, right? Is it, though? I guess not. I guess not when you're talking about Rob. (laughs) He must hate us. I I hope he hate listens to us just for fun. I really do. (laughs) That would bring me tremendous joy to be involved in that now. Well, Bob, did you know that he blocked the Twitter? Page? Yeah, no, I okay. I know all about it. I follow the show. Okay, oh, good, cool. good, good, good. Yeah. So, so actually, and that'll and this is the perfect time for me to say that because I will say uh, production begins in Los Angeles in January on sixty-five new half-hour episodes of the Spectacular Spider-Man will be shown on the Fox Children's Network here in the U.S. and is being produced by New World International. Uh, so the thing that I wanted to keep bringing up. And of course, this was not called the Spectacular Spider-Man. It was called Spider-Man the Animated Series. And I was going to say that I was a fan of the show ever since you guys sent me those Spider-Man Valentines. Right. That's right. You won that contest. I don't even think I won a contest. I just like wrote in and I was like, ooh, me. And they were like, here you go, kid. You were the only one that wrote in. And Adam's (laughs) like, all right, let's give it to him. He actually listened. Well, because I saw them and I was going to put my name in and and I thought, no, this is this is for Bob. Yeah. And he sent and he, and he sent me the link and I was just like, oh my god! <laughs> and I wrote and I wrote in immediately and then uh, and then I, yeah, I've, I've been on board ever since. So Bob, you were you were a huge fan of this show, and I think at one point, maybe even when we were working together, you told me that you had every episode on either a bootleg DVD or a hard drive. I have it on. I have a bootleg DVD. I'm I'm looking at it right now. It's on, it's on my shelf. So a couple of years ago, when when Grace was born, I was on paternity leave. So she and I, at, at you know her at four months old, and I sat down and binge watched it for you know a couple of weeks watching the show, and I loved it the first several seasons. But that final season, especially the last like two or three episodes, really bums me out because they didn't tie up all the loose ends. And it really took me out of it. Like it really disappointed me how they, sh- they ended the show. So, so what you can do uh, is there's I, a YouTube series that kind of like doesn't like they do like a couple of minute recap of what happens next or what should have happened with Madame Web or something like that. Possibly, I know that unofficially the series picks back up with Spider Man Unlimited, but uh, one of the original writers and his name escapes me at the moment, but. Uh, one of the writers from the original series has the series finale script that he will send you for like five bucks. 
really yeah you just got yeah he's he's got like a patreon or something and uh and if yeah if you send him like five bucks he'll send you a pdf of like how the series is supposed to end supposed to end wow interesting that's pretty cool i have to say that action figure line that was associated with the cartoon is is one of my favorite spider-man action figure lines oh it's the best it is a good action figure. They made line. so I, many of the villains. It was so cool to see all those guys mm-hmm. in action figure form. You know what I really liked about that show? And I don't want to get off to topic too much, but the way they gave Black Cat, like the super serum, like for Captain America. Oh, yeah. That she, she could turn on and off the powers. Yeah. I love that idea. And now, nowadays in comics, Black Cat does not have powers. She's still got the bad luck thing. She does have the bad luck thing. She does yes. have it, but yeah, but that's she can't like go back and forth between Felicia and and Cat, which which bums me out because I love that idea and I wish that it would have carried over into comics and like been a thing because it was such a cool concept. It was. I agree with you on that. I will. I will say that the uh, Spider-Man animated series and X-Men crossover episodes, Neogenic Nightmare, yes, was like the high point maybe of my entire life. Like just <laughs> just behind just behind my marriage. Progress peaked right there. It was all down after that. That was like the best. That was just like the best it was ever going to be for me. <laughs> was when those episodes came out. <laughs> That's hilarious. So anyway, so the bulk of this article is about the formation of a new 24-hour network dedicated to animated programs. We're speaking, of course, about the Cartoon Network, which I loved as a kid. Uh, While the article states that the channel will mostly feature classic cartoons, including a great many from the Hanna-Barbera library, they are also working on producing a new series titled Space Ghost Coast to Coast. I love love that show. Man. I love love that show. The unique project features real-life human appearances by some of Hollywood's biggest stars. They'll be interviewed by Toontown Space Ghost, a black-hooded interplanetary crime fighter. Yeah, I loved it. So good. And it kind of set the tone for what Cartoon Network became with yeah. Adult Swim. Oh, absolutely. You know what I still like to watch every once in a while? C-Lab 2021. This is, which is this year, by the way. Yes, oh it my is. God. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. That bizarro world. Did you also know? I saw a recently Johnny Mnemonic took place on January seventeenth, twenty twenty one. Whoa! Did it really? <laughs> yes, really. I haven't seen that, that since pay per view. Yeah, pay per view. Wow, that's it. That's a, you know what though? That's an under underappreciated movie, Johnny Mnemonic. It's like it's just so so weird and like, like it, it's, it's way ahead of its time. It just it, it totally swings for the fences and like. I, I just wish more movies would have like the guts that that one did. Well, and it's got yeah. Dolph Lundgren, so this is a pretty hilarious evening we're having here. I gotta say, I'm, I'm <laughs> cracking up pretty hard. <laughs> There's some weird stuff going on in this chat. So moving on, the next section is called Palmer's Picks, uh, and we're dealing with an article called Behind the Eight Ball, which is a profile on indie writer and artist Daniel Klaus, who at this time is working on Eight Ball and like a velvet glove cast in iron. Uh, obviously, most fans know him from Ghost World, a book which I love. Uh, and it's nice mm. to see Klaus get some cred in the pages of Wizard. So if you haven't read Ghost World, please check it out. And there's also a movie called Ghost World based on the comic. I like that movie. Starring Scarlett Johansson before she became Black Widow. So Before she was anybody. Yeah, way, way back. This month's Azrael's action figure Fury...
there's not much going on here. There's no news, but there is a countdown of the best toys of 93 and the best homemade heroes of 93, which we'll cover on the mini episode. I also want to shout out that if you are a Patreon subscriber or you're interested in doing a Patreon subscription for Wizards, we're going to be doing some of our best damaged or destroyed action figures. And i got to tell you, what I'm going to be showcasing is one of a kind. It is, whew, it is glorious. I, can't I, I will be there. It's, it's, oh boy, it's bad. If you've seen any of our YouTube videos of my action figures, this one takes the cake. What, what did you do to your toys? My God. Dude, I don't know. I found it in the bottom of a box in the day. It was like, holy crow! I got I got this is this is it. This is this is the creme to the creme. I can't go better than this. This is like my I'm Elvis. Drop the mic. I'm out. <laughs> should we build up to this now? Now it feels like this should be the ending of Wizard. Oh, this should be the end of days. To tell you, okay, fair, fair. I'm skeptical that this is even a toy. Like this is oh, going to be a toy. And and the funny thing about this particular toy as a teaser. We've talked about this figure many times over on this podcast Mm. and on our YouTube series and how much I love this figure. And when I found it, I was like, oh, boy, this is just like kismet that this happened this way. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's that's a hell of a teaser. So now we're going to move on to Gambit's deck of cards. So the big news here is that Fleer acquired the Marvel license. In January of 1994, they're releasing the Fleer Ultra X-Men set. This 150-card set will be printed under Fleer Super Premium Imprint Ultra and will feature artwork from Bill Sienkiewicz and Glenn Fabry. Is there really 150 X-Men or is it different versions of the characters? If I remember correctly, there were scenes on it. Yes, some of them are versus cards. I have a ton of these like this specific line i also have uh so from the family business that i mentioned earlier on from some of our distributors i got just like the unopened display boxes of these oh, cards that's cool. so that's i have awesome. those kind of like sitting like a time capsule at my house that's so amazing. like yeah cards are in the wrappers and then the packs of cards are still in the sealed box that they shipped in oh wow that's so I'll, I'll open those someday. Someday, yes. I had those cards as well, and they're they're beautiful. They're really well oh, done. I, I, I wish that it was still as much of a thing, like, uh, you know, because like, you used to be able to get cards of, like, just about every franchise that in existence, like, movies that came out or whatever. But, like, mm-hmm. I collected baseball cards as a Mets fan. I'd like to get, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I would, I would look out for Mets I, I, and, you know, other notable players, but, like... I didn't really do baseball cards that much, but like comic cards and movie cards were where it was at. In April, Fleer will release its second line of Marvel cards under the banner Marvel Cards. (laughs) It will be drawn exclusively by Amazing Spider-Man artist Mark Bagley. I have these also, and they are really good. That's Um, cool. The marketing team can come up with a better name than Marvel Cards. (laughs) Well, it's a banner. You know, it's kind of a catch-all. You got to have a, you don't want it, you don't want it to be too specific, you know, because then like, you're limited to what you could put under the banner, but with Marvel cards, it could be anything. As long as it's Marvel on a card. I guess. Fair. Good good argument. I I, I concur. I I figured you would have these, Bob, which is why I wrote you down for this section. (laughs) (laughs) You know me so well. 
Skybox will be releasing a line of cards based on The Simpsons, randomly inserted into packs are 200 signed cards from Simpsons creator Mark. How do you always, it's Growling or Growling? It's Matt Groening. Groening. <laughs> the yeah. first name is even wrong. Matt yeah. Groening. I suck. I mean, Mark Growling? <laughs> okay. Matt Growling uh, created the Simpsons knockoff, the Samsons. <laughs> Under the Marvel Cards banner. <laughs> oh We're never going to get through this episode. Oh my God. <laughs> it's never going to happen. Simpsons creator, Matt Raining. It rhymes with raining. Right. <laughs> it's not spelled that way. I'm it's just saying that's how we, that's, if you read the Wizard magazine that we did last issue, it says it rhymes with raining. Yeah, well, I didn't read it. <laughs> okay, well, one more time. This is going to do it. Okay. Randomly inserted into packs are 200 signed cards from the creator of The Simpsons. Matt Groening. <laughs> I'm not saying his name. I screwed up. But I'll leave yours in there. Fine. Good. Matt anyway, moving on to Jim and Todd's Hype Machine. Since Adam is not with us this evening, and I'm sure he's going to be cursing up a blue streak when he listens to this, Stephen took on the arduous task of counting the names of Jim and Todd in this issue. Oh my god, this was pain. Pain on a stick. This was awful. Because first of all, this issue is 300 pages. It's not a typical wizard length. And I didn't have a print copy. I was going off like the digital copy that I was given. So my eyes were straining and then I did it. And then Adam said, oh, I don't count every single mention. I just count per article. So if they're mentioned once in an article, it only counts once. It was a whole thing. And I think I got it right. So I say Jim Lee gets eight mentions and Todd McFarlane gets 12. And then I ended it with my eyes hurt. <laughs> that was my note. But the problem is we don't know what the actual tally is. So you'll have to wait until like probably issue or episode 31 or 32 whenever whenever adam returns so we could actually give you the proper total calculation but just know for now it's 8 and 12 for issue 29 fair and i'll tell you on the reverse of that steven used the you know archive.org for this issue i bought the <laughs> thing and i haven't opened the cover oh my god <laughs> i haven't opened the cover why not i don't know because i'm a schmuck oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got the next issue of my collection, and I can't wait to dig into that one. I just ordered the stupid thing. So oh, it's a good one. It's got Beavis and Butthead on the cover, Bob. Ooh, all right. Right? So, yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, in a kind of fun bit, there are some of the 1993's best quotes in the price guide section. Here are a few of the best. This is my entire working life, and it's taken them 18 months to gut it like a fish. Chris Claremont on the doings in X-Men since his departure. Holy fragaroli, what a dweeb fest. Lobo at the San Diego Comic-Con, Lobo Convention Special number one. 
had to get a Lobo quote in there. That is yeah. that is awesome, and I am gonna I am gonna deploy that the next time I see more than one person at a time. Twenty twenty two for sure. You'll see more than one person at a time. The next time I Facetime my parents, that's what I'm gonna say. <laughs> Holy fragaloli! What a dweeb fest. Accurate Lobo, accurate. Don't call me Superboy. Superboy in the reign of the Supermen. Repeatedly. Yes. And they, and they pick up that thread years later in Infinite Crisis when the Superboy of a different Earth comes back and becomes Superboy Prime. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, he doesn't like being called Superboy either. I mean, so, would, would you? I mean, I wouldn't. I guess not. That Superboy was great. I was a big fan of that Superboy. Yeah. yeah. He had a leather jacket. That's how you knew he was cool. And an he earring. Was. He had the earring and the Shawn Michaels oh. sunglasses. He was doing it. Oh. How did he get the earring, though? Like... I mean, if his skin is impenetrable... That's an excellent question. How did he get the earring? I'm not going to sleep tonight now that that's been brought to my attention. <laughs> and and Supergirl has earrings in that awful CW show. But Oh, I like that show. It was good for a while, but I, I don't know. It's just not... She's charming. Girl. She's a great Supergirl. She, she is charming. She's the best part of the show, but like, I just feel like the writing is not good anymore. Just yeah, frustrating. they tend to flip it all off after a couple seasons with those shows. Well, they kind of yeah, they all do. Legends of Tomorrow. Oh no, I haven't seen that one. But the oh, um, Brandon Routh Kingdom Come Superman. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that oh that was so good. That is awesome. It was awesome. That was fantastic. Total another digression, but whatever. Beginning in March, these books will not ship late. Rob Liefeld commenting on. Expected improvements in images on time performance. Yeah, right. I, yeah. I like to think that that quote was given in April <laughs> <laughs> of '95. <laughs> All right, I'm really happy I get this quote. Batman, Iron Man, they can't get on the Arsenio show. They can't get on Jay Leno. Mr. T on the advantage Mr. T and the T Force has over other comics. <laughs> Is that a good Mr. T? Was that okay? That was, you know what? I wasn't looking at the page and I knew what you were doing. So like, yeah, it was good. You you were transcendent. We, we often get mistaken. I thought so. Also, I've heard your Mr. T before. So I think maybe I was just like, oh, he's doing Mr. T again. Have I done Mr. T impressions before? Is this something yeah. I do? Huh. I think maybe subconsciously. Sometimes you just like spit them out. Well, I do miss that cereal every day of my life. We all do. It's a better, better time. It's when cereal wasn't regulated by the by the uh, you know FDA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what? What's our last quote we got here, Bob? The last one is. Let's see. Should I do the the Dark Knight Rises or should I just do the? I'll do Stevens, Mister T. Broken and done. Bane, Batman number four ninety seven. <laughs> Hell yes. Sort of done. Semi-done. Semi-done. Mostly done. Broken and done. Bane. (laughs) Batman 497. (laughs) That's like Sean Connery doing (laughs) Bane. I I saw the first version of the opening 10 minutes, because remember they did like a preview of just the 10 minutes? Yeah, I saw it. And they ended up changing the voice because you could not understand a damn word he was saying. Like, they didn't didn't get much better. No, but the version that I initially saw, I was sitting there and I was like, I can't make out heads or tails. 
It was so muffled, like, with his voice. You got just nothing but this all day, man, is here. You're here for you. You're the man now, dog. (laughs) (laughs) What has happened to this show? Oh, my God. I'm just going to tell Adam that we talked for four hours about Long Island and New Jersey and just let it roll. He'll, be like, he'll have an aneurysm. He'll be like, what are you doing? My show. Oh, boy. But speaking of Bane, we're going to finish this off with Wizard's top ten things Batman could have done to Bane if he was meaner. Okay. So number ten held him down and just kept touching his eyes oh god oh god <laughs> number nine kidnapped alfred replacing him with gilbert Gottfried. i've seen gilbert Gottfried live and i've met him and he is hilarious he is unbelievable even now he's still funny he's funny can i persuade you to take a sandwich with you <laughs> sir <laughs> Sorry. another spot-on impression oh, by Oh my God! You take that show on the road, dude. The rich Holy little God. of this podcast. I actually, I actually didn't know which one of you that was when it was happening. <laughs> it was very good. I, I was actually like, you know, ventriloquist through him. So there you go. Not a very this, good Gilbert. That's coming out of the left speaker, but I think it's supposed to be the right. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening here? What do you got for number eight, Bob? Gotten front row tickets to the Chevy Chase show, forced him to go. Man, that is stone cold. For for those who don't know, the Chevy Chase show was a giant flop of a late night talk show to compete with Letterman and Leno. It's like historically bad. It oh was no God. Space Ghost. Oh, it's painfully unfunny. I've tried. To, I've watched it since. It's on YouTube now. Why? Why? Because I love stuff like this. Why do you like to like? I can't watch like really uncomfortable bad shows. Like it just like uncomfortable comedy makes me un like wiggle in my skin it's just, oh, that's the skin. point baby i guess so steve yeah steven will occasionally send me things and he'll be like oh i know you don't have anything better to do for the next two hours than drive yourself nuts so watch this montage so this one it makes sense but it also doesn't make sense oh i i get this so number seven says given sean young the bat caves phone number so i guess this is considered worse than if Bane broke Batman's spine, right? Do you know the reference here? Bob, do you want to I, tell the story? I do know the reference that she wanted to be Catwoman. Yep. And she, she first one was supposed to be uh, Vicky Vale, but they got rid of her. And then she wanted to be Catwoman and then did this whole thing on, I don't know if it was David Letterman or Conan or something like that, where she like acted like a cat or something like that. Yes. It was like this, I think it was Letterman. I think it was Letterman, yeah. And then she so, kind of showed up at, at Tim Burton's office in the Catwoman yes. suit, and he had to hide under his desk, and security <laughs> needed to be called. It's not funny, but it's really funny. It's it's both funny and not funny. Okay, Steven, what do you have for number six? Number six, taking his toothbrush, swished it around a urinal, and then put it back without telling him. That, that has oh. to be the worst. I'd rather someone break my back. <laughs> Have you seen the Seinfeld episode where Jerry drops the girlfriend's toothbrush in the toilet yes. and, and it's the girl from Sex and the City and he like washes it off and then he, she like brushes her teeth real quick with it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like freaks out. He can't look at her and he can't kiss her because of the toothbrush. <laughs> so bad. I get it. I understand. I get it too. <laughs> totally. 
Okay, Bob, what do you have for number five? Number five. Sneaked? That's not a past tense. Snuck into the bat cave every week, each time changing the bat suit with smaller... Sorry, one second, my screen went off. Snuck into the bat cave every week, each time changing the bat suit with smaller and larger costumes, thus driving Batman nuts. Yeah, it body does, dysmorphia. It's a serious problem. <laughs> it does. It does say sneaked. I just looked it up. It does say sneaked in the actual. Is, is, is sneaked? Sneaked is the right. Okay, uh, that's what it says. Number four, impersonated Wayne, called up Hollywood agent, and acted like an sob, causing cancellation of Batman the Animated Series. <laughs> that would have been awful. That would have been awful for everyone else, but Batman probably. <laughs> Number three. Uh, Screwed with his thigh master. <laughs> that one just gets me. I don't know. I actually just got a thigh master for Christmas. So what? Yeah. Well, especially if he's using the thigh master in conjunction with his suits, always changing sizes. Like, <laughs> are you Suzanne Summers? What? It was like nine bucks on Amazon. I put it on my wish list and I got it. I sit at a desk all day for work. You know, you work out the thighs. Thighs of steel. Oh my god, I could crush a walnut between them. <laughs> you stole the words out of my mouth. Just cracking walnuts all day long. Is that what that sound was? I I was hearing it the entire time we were recording. Oh yes, yes. I'm eating walnuts and cracking them between my thighs. <laughs> in the laundry room. Not in that order, but <laughs> business as usual, except this time he's on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Bob, what do you have for number two? Number two sat on his chest and kept singing the theme to the old Batman TV show over and over and over. I know the theme song, yes. And I'm just, now I'm hearing it in my head. I'm like, oh God, I'm going to hear it in my dreams tonight. Oh boy. It's the best. It's the best show, the best song. Yes. I think it would be the most effective though if he doesn't sing the rest of the song. He just does the na 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 just in a loop like that. Over and over again. Oh, that would yeah. nail the chalkboard. I'll tell you whatever you want to know. Just stop singing. <laughs> Number one doesn't make sense also. Gotten Tim Burton to direct the third Batman movie. But isn't that what everybody wanted? No, not at the time. Oh, really? Cause I guess because Batman Returns was such a financial disappointment because of the act to the, Mc, the McDonald's BS. Is that really? Yeah, but it also wasn't very well regarded at the time. I remember people kind of being down on it compared to the first one. Is that right? Yeah. I I, I guess, but it's just like, I don't oh. know. It's such a great... I loved cool, it. I love that movie. I just... Mm. Michelle Pfeiffer makes the whole movie for me. You could take Danny DeVito out of the movie completely and Max Shrek out of the movie completely and just be about her and it'd be a great movie. Well, so, it's, so it's, right, right, you just talked yourself out of it being a good movie. If you take two of the major <laughs> characters out of it, it's a great movie. Shut up! <laughs> Damn it. See, I, I think, I think it works really well because it's also it's a Christmas film and also a horror movie with Batman. So, like, that's it does like a, have a lot of different hats that it wears. That's like a lot of my favorite things in one place. I, Batman's barely in it. Just saying. Yeah, but he, but he's in it at all. You know, like which is you know more than you can say for most movies. That's true. Yeah, I guess so. Well, so. hopefully we'll talk about Batman Returns on the movie. Uh, we hopefully we'll get there. Yeah. Let's if if you do, if you do a podcast regarding uh, any of these Batmans, but specifically Batman Forever, I will crash that, whether I'm invited or not. <laughs> okay, you're well. You're welcome to crash it. You're more than welcome to join us for sure. Because I have a lot to say about all three of those films, all three. But that's it, really, guys. This is was a really really long issue that I didn't even open the cover and spend. <laughs> 
12 bucks on. <laughs> so Wizards 29 is in the books, and we can finally say goodbye to 1993 and all of the gimmick comics we've been tortured with and and all of Rob Liefeld's you know, broken promises and so on and so forth, and just say hello to 1994. If you want to check us out, you can follow us on our social media, on Twitter, at Wizards Comics, on Instagram, at Wizards underscore comics, on our YouTube channel, Wizards Podcast, at our T Public store if you want to get some cool duds, and now, as we talked about a little bit earlier, our Patreon, which is at Wizards Comics, I think, right? Sure. I think so. Yeah, I don't really know what the link is, but if you search Wizards on Patreon, you might find us somewhere in there. We'll have to put it somewhere. We'll find it. Yeah. But you can also listen to us on all of your different podcasting platforms. But until next time, don't forget to keep your books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.